Amen. Have a seat, everybody. <laughs> How are we feeling this morning? Good. Sorry, I came out a little strong there. Well, we're feeling good, feeling awake, ready to take the day. Amen. Hey, real quick, I have a question I want to ask you guys. Or maybe just fulfill what I'm about to say. With great power comes. With great power comes. Amen. <laughs> hey, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Tobey Maguire is the greatest Spider-Man of all time. Here we go. And here's why I'm going to say that, okay? A lot of people like to make the... Yes, he was a good web shooter, exactly. A lot of people like to make the, the comment that... Um, what's the new guy's name? Tom Holland. Tom Holland is like a better Peter Parker, uh, but it's just not true. Um, and I don't really know what that means. The reason is because, man... Tobey Maguire is just an amazing actor, okay? Take away his performance in Spider-Man 3. You guys would all agree with me. Um, he did an incredible job in both Spider-Man 1 and 2. And as we're even just talking about superheroes, man, a lot of us people even ask the question, and you guys probably have understood, even just as you're young, you guys have probably wanted to be superheroes. You've probably wanted to be Spider-Man. Obviously, all the alphas in the room wanted to be Batman because Batman's the best. But at the same time, at the same time, in whatever way, a lot of us, both guys and girls, probably wanted to be a superhero at some point in our life. I mean, even as we just ask ourselves the question, we're like, why? Why do we want to be superheroes? Why is it that like this idea of being a superhero is so appealing? When you look at their lives, you see, well, if you actually see, man, the way that they live, I bet majority of us in this room would actually probably say, I actually don't really want to live like them. Why? Because their life is filled with danger and fear and anxiety and responsibility and all these things that present themselves in the superhero's face, yet we still want to be like them. We still want to emulate them in some way. When Captain America is running around in his spandex, we still cheer him on. We say, go, 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 as he picks up his shield or picks up the hammer or whatever. And as we see those things, we're, we're just, we're excited. We want to see them succeed. And I got to think, man, as we watch those things happen on screen or as we want to be like these people, there's a couple reasons why I think we want to be like them. And that is through all these different things that present themselves, through the fear and anxiety, through, through the danger, through all these things that the superhero has to face, one thing prevails, and that is their purpose. Their purpose and their significance and everything that is what they are striving for overshadows all these other things. And you guys might know this, you might not. The main reason, one of the main questions we're asking ourselves constantly is what is my purpose? Why am I here on this planet? And for the non-Christian as well, you might be asking yourself that same question. And for the Christian, it might sound a little bit like this. What is God's will for my life? 
how, how do I know what God wants me to do in my life? How do I know where he wants me to go? What career I'm supposed to get into? What college I'm supposed to go to? All these questions abound. And you guys are probably sitting in this room and you're probably asking the same questions. And the truth is, man, we have an answer. God has given us a clear answer as to what our purpose here on this planet is. What is God's will for my life? We don't have to wait for a moment where God just appears in front of us. We hear this still, small voice, and then all of a sudden we're called to go and be a doctor. We can know what God's will for our life is by simply looking at the Word of God. Westminster Catechism is this famous passage um, and this famous catechism. And um, one of the most famous quotes is this. It says this. It says, The chief end of man is to bring glory to God. The chief end of man is to bring glory to God. And so right there, the chief end just means your ultimate purpose. What is your ultimate purpose? And when we read that quote, we say, well, it's to bring glory to God. And a lot of us probably asking the question, well, how the heck does that even happen? How do we actually bring glory to God? And furthermore, maybe even a more applicable question is this. Man, is, if, if I'm supposed to just bring glory to God, why the moment I was saved, the moment that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, why wasn't I just zapped up into heaven where now I'm worshiping him for all of eternity, joining with the angels, singing to him? And why am I still here in this fallen and broken world if the chief end of man is to bring glory to God? And the truth is, is that, man, we've been given a mission. That's why we're not in heaven right now. That's, not, that's why we're not actually singing with all the angels. That's, not, that's why we're still here. We're still here to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And yet a lot of us still think that, man, our purpose here in life is to pursue comfort. To pursue all these worldly things That'll give us comfort and satisfaction and joy. And we recognize, man, quickly, and maybe if you've been alive long enough, you've quickly understood that comfort is not the reason why you're here. Tom Brady is a famous interview that he has. And in his interview, he's getting asked these questions. Man, you have it all, and what's next for you? And in those moments, as he's being asked these questions, he talks about the fact that he's had, how many Super Bowl rings does he have? Seven? This guy, this guy has seven Super Bowl rings. And in the moment, he's like, I've got seven Super Bowl rings, or however many he had at the time. He's got a big house. He's got an amazing family. He's got all these things that surround him. He's got success. He's a household name. Yet in the back of his mind, there's this nagging question, what was it all for? He doesn't know. He's like, there's got to be more than this. I don't, I don't feel satisfied. And many of you guys would understand that that's the truth as well. Maybe you grew up in a very affluent place. You grew up with all these things that surround you. You grew up with such comfort, yet you realize, man, that's not the purpose of your life. Viktor Frankl, he's this, famous, he's this famous psychologist, and he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. And not only was he a psychologist, 
he actually survived the Holocaust. He's a Holocaust survivor. And so he, while he was in um, some of these camps, um, he wasn't in Auschwitz, but he was in another concentration camp as a prisoner, and he was just witnessing these atrocities. And he was just witnessing this brutality done by the Nazis, and he was, he was writing stuff down, and he was analyzing the psychology of both the Nazis and the prisoners, and he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. Not while he was in there, but kind of as a, as a tribute to his whole time in his concentration camp. And one of the most important and probably famous quotes that he writes down is this. He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstances. He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. A man who had everything stripped away from him, who was surrounded by evil, day and night, brutality, being treated like an animal. He writes this down. He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstance. If anybody could write, life is made unbearable by circumstance, it would be him. He lived an unbearable existence while he was in the internment camps, the concentration camps. Yet he writes this, this incredible quote, and he says, life is never made unbearable by circumstance, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. So as human beings, as people that have been placed here on this earth, and ultimately as people that have been created by God, we are beings that pursue purpose and meaning it's why some of you guys go into the careers that you want to go into because you find meaning and purpose in those things but I want to tell you and even just as we ask the question what's the chief end of man it's to bring glory to God even as we ask that question and how does that actually practically live out in my life I want you to be sure of the fact that you can find the answer that you have the answer in the word of God. Would you guys turn to Matthew chapter 28 with me? Matthew chapter 28. And this is a famous passage. It's commonly coined the Great Commission. It's something that maybe if you grew up in the church, you've heard a ton of times. And oftentimes it's used to describe, man, what does it mean to live a life on mission? And we always go to this passage for answers. But as we kind of dive into this passage, I want us to kind of dissect what it is that Jesus is saying in this very moment. And the way that I want to do that is by, is by asking four questions. Who, what, where, and why? What is it that God is calling us to? What is the mission that God is, is, is calling us to? And before that, who is it that's calling me? Man, who is it that is calling me to do these things, to go out to all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who is this God that's actually commanding me? He's not just suggesting it. For those of you guys might be even wondering that, man, is God just suggesting for me to go? No, he's commanding us to go. Not only that, where am I to go? What am I to do? Where am I to go and preach the gospel? And then lastly, why? Am I to go? Let me read this, and then we'll dive right in. Go down to verse 18. Verse 18. 
probably says the Great Commission in your guys' Bible. Here's what it says. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, as we figure out what you are trying to say in your word, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in us and challenge us and awaken the sleeper. God, we need to live a life on mission, that we're not called to just live a life waltzing in the church every Sunday and then leaving and living in whatever way that we please. God, but that you have given us command to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We recognize that, and we pray that you would challenge us this morning. Amen. Speaking on behalf of man experiencing discomfort, there's a story in my life where I experienced immense discomfort and it actually led to a conversation in which we were talking about, man, what is, what is my meaning and purpose in life? Me and my buddies were talking about this, but right before we were discussing this, something crazy happened. And so one of these days, I was 16 years old, and I was with my buddies Lincoln and Trent. And uh, we were going we were gonna go for a hike. Uh, we were gonna go up in the Topanga Mountains, um, which is kind of by Santa Monica. We were gonna go um, and just do a little hike and, and see some sweet sights and walk around and everything. And as we are starting the hike, okay, we are heading up this hill, and on the left side of us, we see this fence. And this fence is, is probably... I don't know, probably four feet high. And so it's super, super easy to hop. And then we see a no trespassing sign. So if you're a 16 year old boy, what do you do? You hop the fence, okay? And so um, as we were walking by, we see that and we were like, okay, we're gonna go and we're gonna hop this thing, okay? And so then we hop this fence and uh, we start walking and we're walking on these trails, right? And we're walking up and down. It's kind of like, you know, there's the mountainside, and this is the trail, and then over here, there's the fence, and then over here, there's a valley, and so we're walking kind of along the valley wall, and there's different trails, and then we would, we would come up upon these, these gates, right, and there, there are these doors, essentially, but there's these fences, there was no fence around them, there's just a door in the pathway, so you could literally walk around it, it was the weirdest thing ever, and as we're walking, we're like, this is such a weird experience, and we're, we're walking, and then we get to this place where there actually is a fence around, and we can't actually hop it because there's barbed wire at the top, and then we check, and there's, there's this lock, and we can't, we can't unlock it, obviously. We didn't bring our bolt cutters, unfortunately. But in that moment, we're, we're standing there, and we're at a dead end. And so then I turn around, or before I turn around, I hear this voice, and it's my buddy Lincoln. He's in the back. It's Lincoln, Trent, and then me that are up against this, this, this gate, right? And then I hear my buddy Lincoln's voice, and he says, hold up, hold up, hold up. We're trying to leave. We're trying to leave. We're trying to leave. Okay, and so in that moment, I'm like, what is going on? And so I turn around, and right in front of my buddy Lincoln is this guy, and he's holding a machete, okay? 
And before, I, listen, we all survived. It's not, a, it's not a crazy story, but we're standing there, and this dude is just standing there, and he's holding machete, and we're like, I'm like, I'm going to die. I don't know what's going on. And as we're standing there, guess what I'm holding in my hand as a weapon? I'm thinking I'm going to have to protect the boys. I'm going to have to be a hero right here. And I'm holding something in my hand. And guess what I'm holding in my hand? Anybody remember those selfie sticks from like 2014? I'm literally holding a selfie stick. And before you guys judge me, this is back in like 2014. So uh, we were just trying to, we were just a couple boys and we want to take some selfies. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, And at that moment, we're standing there and he's holding a machete. I'm holding a selfie stick and I'm thinking that I'm literally going to have to swing a selfie stick at this guy holding a machete. And ultimately, what ends up happening is we're just standing there, and he's just staring at us, and we said, can we just leave? Can you just leave us alone? We're going to try and get out of here. And he just kind of stands there, lets us pass him, and just follows us back to the place where we hopped the fence. And literally, we just left. And after that moment, after that moment, it sparked one of the greatest conversations that we have ever had. We were just talking about all these things. We, were like, we literally thought we were going to die. We thought that we were going to get chopped or whatever it was. And we started talking about our purpose and our life and everything that, we, everything that we dreamed of doing. And then we realized something. We're like, man, at that moment, we're like, man, we haven't even shared the gospel with anybody Anybody that we know at our schools, we haven't, even, we haven't even actually had a presence on our school campus. All we've done is go to youth group, have fun, sing some songs, left, and gone back to school and just lived our lives. And we started to ask the question, man, there's got to be more than that. Like, obviously, God has called us to go and, and do some, some awesome things. And from then on, you know, we started to challenge each other. We started to hold each other accountable. And our friendship, basically, I mean, my friendship with those three guys shaped who I am today. And it's moments like those, and as silly as it is, I mean, like, we literally thought we were going to die, but it's moments like those that spark these questions in your mind. What has it been all about? What has my life been about? Have I made it about Christ or have I made it about myself? And so even just as we read this, we, we got to ask the same question. Who is calling us to do these things? And in that moment, we actually gained a higher view of God. In the first episode, the first spoken word, the very beginning, it says a wise, one, wise man once said, and I believe that it's true, that what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. That's actually an A.W. Tozer quote. And A.W. Tozer saying, and the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. And if you don't have a high view of God, then it doesn't matter what he tells you to do. Because ultimately, you're not going to be convinced to go and do that thing unless you recognize who God is. If you read at the very beginning, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, immediately when we see therefore and when we see all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, we got to recognize something just happened. We got to recognize that Jesus just did something. Because the therefore, we got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And we got to look back before this passage 
and see, man, what just happened? And what did just happen? Jesus just rose from the dead, holding the keys to life and death, and he's standing before his disciples, and what is he saying? He's saying, go, make disciples. Before that, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did Jesus have authority before he rose from the dead and appeared before his disciples? Yes. Jesus was healing the sick. Jesus was calming the storms. Jesus was, was casting out demons. That's what it means to have authority. God has given him authority to do these things. And so we clearly see that Jesus had authority. So why is he saying it again? Because the ultimate expression of God's authority was just revealed to his disciples. He just rose from the dead. And some of his disciples cannot believe what they are seeing. They cannot believe what they are witnessing. Even if you just go back, even if you guys just go back to verse 5. In chapter 20, it says, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And then down below in verse 9, he says, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus appearing before his disciples. And the ultimate sign of his authority, saying, I am the king. When it says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, we recognize that Jesus is proclaiming something about himself. He's saying, I am the king. And I ask, man, do we live as if God is our king? As if Jesus is our king? Because if we did, then we would read this verse not just as a suggestion to live a life that's filled with meaning and purpose, but as a command from the king. Jesus is your king as well. Why do I know that? Because it says... He appeared before his disciples. When we talk about the word disciple, those of you that believe in Jesus Christ are disciples as well. What is a disciple even? Some of you guys might have even been asking that question. I mean, what does it even mean to be a disciple? Because if you're a Christian, you are a disciple, and a disciple is somebody who's a student of the word student of God, who learns about God, who wants to know about God, who wants to be taught by God, who seeks after God. So when Jesus says, when it says in the word, I appeared, he appeared before his disciples and he commanded them, that command applies to you as well. In the book of Isaiah chapter 6, there's this, there's this passage and it's a very famous passage, and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and he was high and lifted up. He was high and lifted up. 
And he saw these creatures. He had, he had a vision of the Lord. He was a prophet. Isaiah was a prophet. And he had this vision of the Lord. And he saw these creatures surrounding his throne. And he said the train of his robe filled the temple. And he saw these creatures singing day and night, 24 hours a day, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what was Isaiah's response in that very moment? Isaiah fell to his knees and he said, woe is me, for I come, for I'm a man of, clean, uh, of unclean lips, and I come from a land of unclean lips. He instantly saw his own sin and his people's sin, and he was convicted to his core, and he couldn't even stand the sight of a holy God. And he, so he bowed down, and he was like, man, God, you have nothing to do with me. I can't even stand in your presence and what is God's response to this? He asks a hypothetical question. He asks, whom shall go for us? Whom shall I send? God knows the answer in that moment. When he sees Isaiah down on his knees, cowering in fear, he knows the answer to that question, yet he asks it anyway. And Isaiah in that very moment says what? Here I am, Lord, send me. And so as we read that passage, even as we hear about that passage, we recognize that God has revealed himself to Isaiah. Isaiah gets a clear picture of who God is, high and lifted up. He doesn't even have language to describe what he's seeing. And so he says, woe is me. And then when God asks the question, who will go for us? Who will bring this message to the people of Israel Isaiah's immediate response, immediately after seeing the Lord, saying, Lord, here I am, send me. I need to go. I need to go. And it says in that passage, he says, for my eyes have seen the Lord. Isaiah had a high view of God. He knew who it was that was asking him to go. I think for some of us, man, the greatest danger for most of us, I mean, as, even just as I was reading this article about the CCP, which is the Chinese Communist Party in China, and the persecution that the Chinese church is experiencing, the Chinese government is taking Bibles that are coming into the country and rewriting them to align with the political party of China. And so as they're rewriting these, mess, these passages, they're completely changing the meaning of the gospel, the meaning of God's word, and, man, they're, they're going to be the only Bibles that these people can actually carry around. And they're going to be the only churches that actually preach from this Bible are going to be the only churches that are going to be allowed to gather. And so you've got a ton of true Christians in China that are meeting in garages in these in these caves and they're meeting and they're and they're worshiping the Lord and they're trying and they're meeting in secret because they don't want to compromise on their faith and the greatest danger for you and I yet it all, it might seem like we're heading into an age where there's going to be more persecution for the church the greatest danger for you and I is the passion and the zeal for the gospel growing cold that's the greatest danger because we have everything we need. 
And when, when, when stuff hits the fan and when we actually start experiencing persecution, we won't actually see Christ is valuable enough. We won't see the word of God is valuable enough to stand by it and not compromise. And so what will end up happening is many people will say, yeah, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in that stuff. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, live, live your truth. I, I, don't wanna, I, I, don't want any, I don't want anything, bro. I, I'm good. You're good. When people start pressing us for being Christians, because we have everything we need. And I wish we could even just see how passionate and zealous some of these people in these third world and majority world countries are that are hovering around the word of God, that are worshiping him. I wish we could just see how convinced they are of the gospel how unafraid of death they are. That we live a life that wants to surround ourselves with all these things that don't matter. William Carey is this famous, famous missionary. And he, is, he's a, he was you know, a missionary in the 17, late 1700s. So this is a long time ago. And he's oftentimes seen as like the father of modern missions. He's this famous missionary that was going and preaching the gospel in the nation of India at the time. And as he was doing it, I mean, he experienced a lot of turmoil, a lot of sicknesses, and he endured them, and he would continue to preach the gospel and he has this famous quote as well, and I'll read it to you. And he says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. He's not afraid of failing in, in life, essentially, is what he's saying. But he's, a, he's afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. What could matter more than what, is, what God is calling us to right here in Matthew chapter 28? What is God calling us to? And what is he calling us to do? Let's continue to read. Verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make what? Disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, com- teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is so cool because we can take away three things that he's calling us to do. He's saying, what? Make disciples. Or first he's saying, actually, baptize, make disciples, and thirdly and lastly, teaching. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Those three things are the things that God is calling us to do. To baptize, make disciples, and teach. And I ask you the question, where does that stuff primarily happen? Where does teaching, disciple-making, and baptism happen? happen. It happens at the local church. It happens at your churches. And I want you to understand is that God's only plan for redemption, God's plan to seek and save the lost is through the church. And the problem is, is that we see church as boring. We go to church one time every Sunday and we walk in and we walk out and we feel like, man, that was a good motivational speech or that was some good advice. And we fail to recognize 
that the church is supposed to be the thing that lives out the Great Commission, where you're inviting people to church, where they hear the gospel, where they're baptized, where they're taught, where they're made a disciple, where eternities are changed, and we see it as just this trivial thing that Christians do. And it's so much more than that. And I'd even ask for you guys, man, as you guys are looking for what colleges that you guys are trying to get into or whatever it might be, you would find a church before you find a college. Why? Because church attendance for young people after high school significantly drops. It drops significantly. The percentage of people after high school, specifically after youth group, they get into college and they just stop going to church. Why? And I got to believe it's because they don't recognize the mission of the church. And they don't recognize that they and you, the individual, has been called to live a life on mission. And therefore, we see the Christian life as this boring thing where we just find community. And we find friends. And when we don't find that, we don't put any effort into actually finding a church. We just kind of fizzle out and we just stop going. It's a priority that we need to have as believers. Find a church. Get invested. Get plugged in. What greater purpose is there than to live out the Great Commission locally at your local churches, inviting those that don't know them to come to church where they're encountered with God and the teachings of God. And they get to hear these things that's going to change their life. A church that preaches from the Bible where they're actually able to hear the word and the word transforms them. And then disciples make disciples and disciples make disciples and so on. And then there's just this revival of people that have come to know the Lord because you are faithful and getting plugged into your church and serving at your church. Oftentimes we want the big things we want the conferences or the Hume Lakes or the things that where, where a ton of people come to where we're worshiping and we want all that stuff and we forget. Man, 90% of the year is me just going to youth group or to church, but I just come in as a, as a consumer and I leave as a consumer. That's not what we're called to do. And some of us nitpick certain things about churches and we criticize and we, we want certain things to change or we want the worship to change. We want the songs that we're singing to change. In fact, that's actually not what we're called to do. The most important thing about a church is what it's teaching. And if that's aligned with the word of God, then friends, if you want to see change in your church, don't criticize but be and live out that change. If you feel like the church is judgmental or whatever, yes, obviously, man, bring it up to somebody. But you know where that starts? It starts with you. Man, we live, live lives like, we act as if the church is just this I mean, sometimes it feels like just a party for Christians. And other times it feels like, man, it's just a, it's a place where dreams come to die. 
And the truth is, is that, man, there's nothing, nothing can be further from the truth when it comes to the word of God. Their church is God's plan for redemption, but guess what? It's his only plan for redemption. When you see missionaries going out into different countries, it is God's plan to go and plant churches so that people would hear the gospel. So there's no, there's no option for us if we're actually to be obedient. For us just to not go to church and not be invested, not serve. If you have a voice, sing on the team. Sing on the worship team. If you want older men, older women, if you need to, to pour into people, start a Bible study with the youth group. Man, if you go into college and you want to continue to kind of pursue and, and pour into younger people, get involved with the junior high group when you're in college and start a Bible study with them. Start a small group. Go up to the youth pastor and say, I want to get invested. I want to pour into these young men, these young women. I am a product of faithful people that worked in insurance, that worked in different things, that just decided to invest their lives into the church, invest their lives into me and pour into me and disciple me and start these small groups and Bible studies where we dove into the word and where we were transformed and it wasn't perfect, it was messy. There's a lot, there's a lot of things that maybe I would even change about that process, but at the end of the day, I know that God used these people in my life and so recognize as you go into college that it doesn't end with youth group, that you need to go and you need to actually start pouring in to people. Locally, wherever you end up, we're all called to live a life on mission. And some of us were actually called to be missionaries. <laughs> I am Excited for those of you that start to feel the call to global missions. And let me tell you this, not everyone's a missionary. We're all called to live a life on mission, but not everyone's actually in the thick of preaching to an unreached people group, translating the gospel or translating the Bible in a language which they don't actually have access to or in a language that, that the people have and in which they don't have access to the gospel and so there's people on the front lines of ministry that are going to these places and saying, Jesus Christ is Lord, repent and believe and you will be saved. And they're actually doing these things in real time. And some of you guys might even ask the question, well, what's the difference between me who's going to my, you know, to my schools and sharing the gospel with my friends and somebody who's, who's out in the missions field? Well, the difference is this. In the passage in Romans chapter 15, there's this famous passage. There's this passage where, where Paul says this. He says, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I see the work that has been done and it is finished. It is time for me to go and preach to where the gospel has not yet been preached. And what you need to know in that passage is that there have been churches that have been planted there Far less than the churches that are surrounding and in California. But there are churches that are implanted here. And what, what Paul recognizes is that, man, the work is finished in this area. I've planted these churches. I've passed 
the responsibility off to the leaders of those churches to go and make disciples and disciples make disciples. It's time for me to go somewhere where people don't have access to the gospel. And so that's what missionaries do. They preach the gospel where it has not yet been preached. But not only that, not only do they preach the gospel, they live the gospel. They live it out. They help. They help with humanitarian efforts. They help build facilities and they help clean the water and they help do these things. Why? Because, man, if you're just preaching the gospel and living it, man, what a witness that is to the God that we serve. But they're not just living the gospel, they're preaching it as well. They're using their words. There's this famous quote, and I disagree with it wholeheartedly, and it says, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. You're always supposed to use both, your life and your words. And so that's what missionaries are called to do. And some of you guys maybe even feel the stirring. And you would be surprised how many unreached people groups are actually still out there. 1%, less than 1% of Japan believes in the Lord. Vast majority haven't even heard the gospel in Japan. A a, a majority world country, you would say, man, these people, like, I mean, they have access to all this information. They're, They're technologically advanced. They know all these things, yet most of them don't even know the gospel. They think Christians, they don't even really truly know what a Christian is. And you would just be surprised at the amount of people in just these different countries when you step out of the United States that, man, they don't know the gospel either. And so that's what missionaries are a part of. They're able to do when they preach the gospel. And the last question, man, the most important question we can ask ourselves is why are we called to go? Why are we called to do these things? 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. But not just a love for the collective, the love for the individual. Think about in your own life, if you're a Christian, think about Christ taking upon your sins, every sin that you've ever committed, having forgiveness on you, and saving you from the penalty of your sin, saving you from death. And how is it that you came to that knowledge? Somebody told you. Somebody told you the good news of the gospel. And yet we think as recipients of this good news that we can just hold it to ourselves. No. We should be compelled by the love of God. God has had so much grace and mercy upon me for those that don't know the gospel, for those that have never heard the gospel, I am compelled to go and share it with them. The whole truth. Because unless we share the whole truth, we're not preaching a gospel that can save. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says this, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him and whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet that 
Preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet that go and preach the good news. For those that have never heard the gospel before, there's this common question that us as believers and unbelievers have. It's like, man, are they held responsible for their sin before a holy God? The answer is right here. It says, how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? He's asking that question, but he knows the answer to it. They won't. They will not call upon the name of the Lord unless someone goes and tells them the gospel and says, you are dead in your sin and you actually need a savior. And guess what? You have a savior. His name is Jesus. And you need to call upon his name and repent and believe and you will be saved and you will join the kingdom of God and you will become a son or a daughter of the king. But unless we do that, they will not hear and they will not call upon the name of the Lord. And as a result, they will spend an eternity away from him. What greater burden could there be? This year, I close. This year we were able to partner with a ministry, and you guys will be able to see a video in a second, but the ministry is called Jam Ministries, Jubilani African Ministries, and the leader of the ministry, his name is Jit, G-I-T, what an awesome name, and he's a missionary that decided in this very chapel, he came to Hume Lake, and one year he decided, man, he was just stirring his heart to go back to his home country of South Africa. He was born and raised in South Africa. He decided to go back to his country of South Africa, start a ministry where then they made disciples of all nations, where they were baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that they have commanded. He felt that call in his life where he would start a ministry that, that trained leaders in the community to go and make disciples, just like Joshua does here, to train leaders, raise them up, to go and spread the gospel to the community surrounding and in South Africa. And you guys will be able to watch a video. In fact, right now, go ahead and take a look at the screens and check this out. That guy has the coolest accent. South African's the coolest accent there is. But even just as you guys hear that, I mean, maybe some of you guys probably had a hard time understanding what he's saying. But JIT and Jam Ministries, if you guys don't know, some of the work that they're doing across the country in South Africa and the Limpopo province is that they're actually running camps. They're running surf camps, soccer camps, Christian camps, where students around the communities and in other other countries that are coming and crossing the border into South Africa get to hear the gospel. And so he's partnering with different churches in the, in the area, the local churches in the area, helping bringing some of the student leaders to help run these camps in South Africa. And he's seeing students and young people in South Africa coming to know the Lord in droves. And so as you guys even just consider, man, in a moment, we're actually going to pass around offering bags. And um, that's one of the things that you're offering. If you guys feel, don't feel any obligation to give, but if you guys want to give, that's 
you know, Jam Ministries is where some of that money will go. Not only will some of the money that you give today um, will go to Jam, but it'll also go to Hume International. And that's nothing here at the lake. I hope you know that. It's not any of our operations here at Hume Lake and Meadow or anything like that, or anywhere like SoCal or New England. In fact, in the money that is going to be brought to Hume International is going to go to our international missions where we run camps in places like Thailand, Papua New Guinea, Mexico, and all these different places where we run camps for students to actually hear the gospel for the same reason that we run camps for you guys, for students to hear the gospel and come to know the Lord. And so as you guys prepare to give, I hope you know, man, this isn't and I hope you never feel guilted into doing any of this kind of thing. You're under no obligation to do so. But as the, ushering, or as the offering bags come forward, we're going to have some music playing. I also want to ask you guys, as the offering is being passed around, man, to even just pray for two things. Pray in your own heart that God would grow your urgency for the gospel. That God would challenge your heart and your mind and that he would give you, give you a greater passion for sharing the word of God and sharing the gospel of those that don't know it. And secondly, man, pray for, for Jam Ministries and JIT as they are receiving these, these people from Detroit and as they're going to start running a camp where they share the gospel to many students. Pray for their ministry. And so I'm going to invite um, the bags to come down. Our leads are going to pass around some bags. And in this moment, the worship team is going to come out, and they're going to play some music while you guys um, are going to spend some time in prayer. And then after that, we'll send you guys out, okay? Let me pray for us before we enter this time. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for you, and we love you. And God, we're thankful for Jit and his ministry over in South Africa and the many ministries that you are a part of throughout the world. And God, we just ask that you would challenge us and grow us in our knowledge of you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.